Welcome back to the Where If You Take You podcast. I am Kayla, a professional triathlete, mom to two little boys, and triathlon coach. And I'm here with my amazing co-host, Erin, who is an elite amateur, age group triathlete, junior coach at Where If You Take You. And the mass chaos in the background is Baylor, who is very mad that he's not sitting on my lap at this exact second. <laughs> Um, we are here to answer your question, talk triathlon, life, and all things in between. And we've got some great questions today. So thank you to everybody who sent in questions um, on Instagram and um, via email. Before we dive into those, remember that you can send us those questions to whereifyoutakeyou.com slash podcast. It's uh, really helpful to send them that direction because then we can keep them a little bit We can keep them very well organized and uh, make sure that we answer them appropriately. So thank you again for taking the time to, yeah, provide your questions. So, but yeah, how was, before we dive into those, how was your week, Erin? I know you just got back from Key West and are diving headfirst into Coeur d'Alene training and yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, Key West was a blast. Um just really beautiful. I'd never been to the Keys before um, and had a lot of fun. Was still able to get some training in. Um, Felt like I definitely didn't lose any fitness while I was there, which is always good. Um, But I'm back now and really ready to get after it. Honestly, ready to do more than I probably should, Uh, which is why I have a coach holding me back a bit. <laughs> we've been we've been holding Aaron back all week and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> um but yeah, weeks up Yeah, I can tell she's excited, yes. which is good. We like we like that you're excited. So weeks off to a good start. How are you doing, Kayla? Good. Doing good. Uh week is off to a good start. Last week was a good week. Um I kind of got back from Oceanside and uh, with Texas coming up here in a um, like ten days or so, dove headfirst into the last bit of training. So there was no off time for me after that, which was actually good because I don't know. I think Oceanside ended up being really good for me because I think kind of for you, I think we're kind of in the same boat. Like it kind of re invigorated the mm-hmm. excitement and the realization that we need to get excited in order to ha- like have fun and be more, you know, yeah, into our training a little bit. And just, I think it was really good for me from that standpoint. And so I put in a really good week of training last week. I've had a couple good days, last two days. Um, and then just we'll finish out this week. And then next week, yeah, we just a lot of chaos going on in the house. We're, we leave, so I leave for Texas on Tuesday, no, on Wednesday, so Wednesday next week, and uh, I don't come back to Spokane, so we officially head to Arizona, so we have to be basically completely packed up before and packed for the trip, and yeah, yeah there's a lot, a lot going That's on. That's pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> but... Just a, just a little bit, just a little bit of chaos. Um, but, and we're in like this weird space where we can't really pack anything mm-hmm. right now because it's literally the last bit of stuff is like the miscellaneous crap that you kind of need to live, but you don't really need. And it just is all going to get thrown into a box kind yeah. of at the last second. Um, so 
that's where we're at. But I don't know. The best part of the week is on Sunday. I believe it was Sunday. We did. I took the boys. I, we rode our Skyler rode his his bike up to um, Starbucks. And we, we we got a treat. We got um, we got went to the grocery store and then rode our bike back. And as we were riding our bike back, he goes, "Mommy, how many wheels do I have on my bike?" And I was like, "Well, bud, you've got two big wheels and you have two training wheels." He says, "Well, why do I have training wheels?" And I says, "Well, it's because you're still learning." And he says, "I don't like training wheels. I don't want them anymore. Let's take them off." So I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like you're only three and a half and, <laughs> but sure, we'll take them off and we'll see, we'll see what happens. I was very honest. I did not like, anticipate what did happen. And I literally, I took the train wheels off. I held the seat of his bike and I said, okay, one, two, three, start pedaling and gave him a shove. Boom. Really? Riding with no training wheels. Wow. Totally first try. The second try, he was made a turn, and this was Sunday that he figured this out, and he is obsessed with riding his bike, and we went on like a mile run ride where he rode, and I ran, and Brandon and Baylor rode on the electric bike, and we just rode home from daycare, and he's like now jumping up curbs and (laughs) like making turns. That's so exciting. Yeah. Is that him now? <laughs> That's, that is him now. <laughs> yeah. That's um he he is really proud of himself and he is so into it. He's like every day I want to go ride my bike and yesterday we he we were riding his bike back and forth in the um kind of like road that we have where our house is and he'd ride his bike and then he'd hop up his bike and take his helmet off and he'd transition and he'd go run because he wanted to transition just like That's mommy. That's so cute. I love it. It was it's so much fun. <laughs> so that is the Uber highlight of my As week. As it should be. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, yay, Skylar. It's pretty cool. I know. We're pretty proud of him. He's pretty proud of himself too. But now we're dealing with the fact that Baylor doesn't even want to try using the Strider bike he wants to just go straight into using Skyler's big kid bike. <laughs> and we keep trying to get him to use the strider so that he can like learn his balance and just even like start learning the thought process of it. And he gets so mad and he like throws the strider on the ground and he only wants to ride on the big blue bike with no training wheels. <laughs> <laughs> well, Baylor's always been pretty fearless. It's not, let's yeah. just say it's not working. <laughs> He has been, and he's a very fast learner, (laughs) Um, so who knows? Maybe he'll be riding a bike before he's, like, two and a half. Who knows? That's adorable. (laughs) No, but it's a lot of fun. We're really, I think it's going to be really fun, and Skylar is really fast. Like, when we did our little mile, and he's getting even faster, and just rode home, like, ran home from daycare, and I was legitimately, like, running hard, like, eight to eight 30 minute miles. Like, and I'm not, I am not exaggerating. I clocked it at one point and I was like, Oh man, like if he built up his endurance, he's going to be able to keep up with me on my long, hard runs and, or he's going to be out biking me before I can even, before he's even five. I don't know if I like that or yeah. not. <laughs> Better sweet. So, yeah. So, but 
Well, so yeah, so that's what's going on with us. A lot of crazy awesomeness, um, a lot of fun stuff going on, and yeah. But, well, we've got a lot of questions, so let's dive into them. Um, this first one's really fun. Um, it's from Kristen Yax, who's from Bend, Oregon. I've, I've known Kristen for a really long time. Her and I met a little long time ago. She's awesome. And she says that um, she's considering moving to Arizona. And she wanted to know our thoughts on living and training in Arizona. So she's wanting to know, Aaron, um, what you love about Arizona, um, how to manage training in the hotter months. And then she wanted to know from my end, what I'm, what am I most excited about making that big of a move? Um, because the idea of making a big move from Bend to Arizona is like a big, scary one. And so, yeah, she just want to know a little bit about our thoughts on Arizona. So I'm going to let you, Aaron, kind of jump into this and just, yeah, what do you love about Arizona? What do you like to, yeah. yeah. How do you train in it? Yeah. Let's, and then we'll just uh, I think my favorite thing about living and training in Arizona is that I can be outside year round. Um, I know in yes. all the States where it snows and it's cold, it's just not possible to ride outside. And sometimes it's not even possible to run outside. Um, but in Arizona, because there's no fear of ice on the road or just being, so miserably cold you can go outside anytime um a lot of people would say doesn't it get really hot in the summer and it does um but you can wake up early and it will still be hot it's still gonna be 90 degrees at 5 a.m um but it's manageable heat especially on the bike when you're creating wind um and you do get acclimated to it. Um, it's still, you're probably still not going to go as fast as you are in the cooler months. Um, but you learn to adapt and good thing about that is you don't have to ever worry about going to a race and not being heat acclimated. Um, you're probably always going to be acclimated to some type of heat. I think that's one of the things that served me really well at Kona this past year was I had just trained in heat. So the hot, weather there didn't bother me um I also love just the riding routes that are available um my favorite one just has these huge wide bike lanes perfectly paved smooth roads it goes through the mountains and the desert and past the salt river and it's so pretty got some good rolling hills um and one like four percent grade three-mile climb that's pretty good for me to do every now and then um and then there's just there's the tumpy town lake path um and the greenway hayden path and all these different paths you can run and ride on on that cars aren't allowed and there's no traffic lights like i can do 20 plus miles without ever having to hit a stoplight light without ever having to do a loop that's Um, awesome and i just don't think you get that in a ton of places I just love it. And there's a no, yeah, and there's a great triathlon community here too. So if you're someone who likes training with people, there's always people to train with. Yeah. I think that's something I'm looking forward to because I really do feel like that the whole Phoenix and obviously we're talking kind of the Phoenix area, but also like if you get into other areas, you know, Tucson is a big um, you know, triathlon mecca or just, you know, endurance athlete mecca. Um and there's just lot the whole atmosphere and the people to who are just love being outdoors is really exciting. I think that's the piece for me. I know I'm most excited about is 
really just being able to be outside all the time. And, and that's for us, especially that's like the big reason we chose to move to Arizona. It had a lot to do with the fact that um, one for my career as a professional triathlete, being able to train outside year round is going to be a huge boost for me. Um, something I've definitely noticed, like I, this is the longest time I've ever had to be inside for this amount of time, but then also for us, like for the ki- getting the kids, just being able to have them be outside all the time and be outdoors and golf and play baseball and ride bikes and anything that they want to do is just, yeah, really exciting. Um, I don't know that I necessarily honestly have any fears. Um, I think it was more hard when we were making the decision to move at the very beginning because we had to make it like Brandon had to get a new job. And like, for me, it's easy. My job can move anywhere. I just need a computer. And so that was never hard for me, me to do, but it was knowing that Brandon had to make sure he had a new job that made sense for our family. And then making that big jump, like, okay, he's going to quit his job and start a new, like that was maybe the piece that had a fear, but we're just really excited and we can't wait to be down there. Um, especially because like, but just living my life has been indoors for so long. It'd be really great to be outside. And I think you said it right. Like managing the training in the hotter months for me is almost easier than managing the training in the cold months because one, it's a shorter mm-hmm. time frame, <laughs> um, or at least this year is a shorter time frame. Um, and like you said, you just, you get up early and you start, you start your key sessions earlier. Maybe that means you do your biking and your running earlier. And then you only swim in the afternoons because it's, you can handle swimming in the heat a little bit better because you're in cold water, um, doing, um, really key sessions, like really, really key sessions, maybe doing those inside for a little bit, like, you know, pick and choosing, like if you have to do VO two max intervals, doing those inside so that you're not, you know, doing overdoing the intensity plus the, um, the heat. And then the other thing, and I think this is something that I know you're constantly working on. And I know I will have to as well is managing, like making sure that you're hydrating enough like drinking electrolytes on a regular basis, drinking water on a regular basis. I think those all kind of play into the part of, you know, making sure that you manage the heat and stuff like that. So, but overall, I know I'm excited. I can't wait to be down there. So we love Arizona in our house. It'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay. The next question um, is from Marie Rep. Cassie, I'm probably totally butchering that. I think that's the girl yeah. that you used to swim with, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, and she had two questions. Um, is a uh, kind of one had to do with like warm up and cool down and recovery and, and, and injury prevention. And I thought this was really great because we know that you, Aaron, have, you know, we, you have a lot of niggles that we have to manage and make sure. So I'll really, you know, be able to share some of that for you. And then um, I believe she also had a question on our improving our ability to kind of fall asleep and what tips that we had. So basically her question came down to, do we have any warm up or do we warm up or cool down before hard workouts, um, injury prevention, prehab, and then um, how to, and then we can go to the other one, just improving our ability to fall asleep and what tips do we have. Um, so Aaron, I would like you to kind of go over some of the things that you do because you have, um, you know, hip and back stuff that we always are constantly kind mm-hmm. of managing. Um, um so. I think 
for me, it's a lot of warm up before I even start the primary exercise. Like there will always be at least a 10 minute warm up of whatever the exercise I'm doing is. So like a 10 minute easy jog, 10 minutes easy on the bike. Um, But before I even start those things, I do at least 10 minutes of warm up off. Um, where I'm doing just dynamic stretching, opening up my hip flexors. Um, so like mm-hmm. runner's lunge, pigeon push-ups, um, just hip openers, um, and like RDLs, yeah. squats with different feet placement variations, um, just to really get everything loose and moving. Um, then the other thing that I do... Really combining... I think you really combine dynamic stretching, but also yes. activation so, work. Really, yeah. So that's what key. I was gonna say next is that I have a especially hard time activating my glutes. I'm very quad dominant. I always have been, um, and my glutes just don't like to turn on. Um, so doing clams shells and fire hydrants and leg lifts with just like a booty band around my knees before I start can make a huge difference for me and get those glutes firing and really put more of the load on my muscular system instead of all the skeletal and bones and ligaments and joints Mm -hmm. and all that. Yep. And I think that's the key there is when, especially when you're kind of doing injury prevention, um, prehab type work is your warm up becomes very, very important. And like you said, it's more than just the warm up that you do for like 10 minutes of easy jogging or spinning or anything along those lines. It's really about creating activation and um, getting the neuromuscular system to turn on so that that area, for lack of better term, is ready to work. Um, And resistance band work is um, really, really great. And one in, so like, you know, lateral walks, monster walks, um, like you said, clamshell work and, um, you know, squatting RDLs are great. I love doing RDLs with a resistance band for kind of allowing my, um, body to kind of warm up and start activating. Um, sometimes I'll even do like kind of some calf raise stuff really focusing on, especially for running, really focusing on getting my big toe to be like the driver where all of my energy is pulling through my big toe so that I can kind of make sure that I'm running um, through the big toe and versus, you know, through the outside. So I'll do like calf raises and then sometimes I'll even do like um, I'll hold a squat and then do calf raises kind of that way again, just driving through that big toe. Um, Really, I think that's just the key is focusing on activation work and you know making sure that you're not going into things cold um because we do have a tendency to do that like just start running um and that is where you then can kind of really injure things um especially and if you are prone to and she does say that she is prone to injuries um one person that you can follow is caitlin alexander who is a uh, physical therapist and a professional triathlete. And she actually provides really great um, prehab work, activation work. Um, I definitely um, always recommend her um, for just good ideas and tips on how to kind of create some of this injury prevention stuff 
Um, and I know for me, I focus on mostly around on my shoulder ever since I got hit by that car. Um, I, if I don't, before I do like really hard swims and long swims, if I do not do some form of kind of warm up um, for my shoulder, um, then I start to have a lot of issues with it. So really, they, yeah, focus on activation. And I think that's really the kind of the key um, piece with it. Um, do you do anything for cool downs? That's something I definitely struggle to do. Um, I mean, you always, we always go at least like 10 minutes easy, whatever we're doing afterwards. Um, and I should do more than I do. We'll admittedly say that. Um, we all should probably, but stretching, rolling out. Um, I really need to start wearing my toe spacers more because I'm having some the issues I love to I love toe <laughs> they're spacers awesome. <laughs> um they're the weirdest things ever but it's amazing how like what they can be it makes yes and I've so had one bunionectomy and trying to avoid having a second one on the other foot so those are really important for me um I love using lacrosse ball um to just really get mobility and knots out um and then there's like a lumbar spine curve board that I've been laying on for at least five minutes a day um, because I'm having a really hard time moving my back spine by or vertebrae by vertebrae. Um, So trying to get some Mm -hmm. flexibility and movement back there. Yeah. Movement in there. Yeah. I really think one thing I think that's very underrated and um, I know I've talked about this in the past, but for injury prevention, um, it with after sessions also can be really helpful is mm-hmm. getting protein yes. into your system. Um, because then you are allowing your body to quickly start repairing. And on top of that, you are preventing, um, you're, you know, you're increasing the amount of calories that you're getting. Um, and that can also really help with ensuring that you're not lost. Sometimes a lot of en- injuries can really come from, um, being, um, energy deficient and basically just not having enough calories. And so then your body is going to take us start taking its quote unquote energy from mm-hmm. it, from its, your bones and your structural system. And, um, and then that definitely is a huge risk for injury. And so, yes, these, these pieces are important, like the prehab work and the cool down work and everything. But if you're not also paying attention to your nutrition and getting protein and carbs, um, um, immediately after your sessions and then make sure you're feeling before your sessions, during your sessions. I actually just had a long conversation with an athlete about this, um, this week in that she, cause see, I just don't have enough energy to do my, do my days. And she, I, we started kind of really digging into it and really are looking at making sure that she's fueling her sessions because she's not. And I kept trying to, you know, try to get her to understand that by you need to fuel your sessions in order to just not put yourself in such a deficit that you're constantly coming back and that you have enough energy for the rest of your day. Um, And so, you know, stuff like that also is little pieces that can be really helpful for um, injury prevention. The other thing that I will add that's kind of related to that is just really executing your sessions how they're meant to be done um and that's something that is a continual work in progress for me but 
your workouts should not be at 100% intensity every time you work out. The workouts that say they're easy are supposed to be easy. When you're supposed to be recovering during intervals, you're supposed to be recovering. That's for your body and neuromuscular system to really reset um, and take the load off so your body can just recover. And if you're not doing that, you're adding this load and adding more load and adding more load and you're never going to recover from it. And eventually you are going to get injured Mm -hmm. because you're never giving your body the time to recover. Yeah, she's learning, everybody. She's learning. (laughs) This is definitely a big, as I think that's a really fabulous point because it is something that we see a lot um, is I constantly am trying to get athletes to slow down, um, to slow down. When I tell them to do an endurance effort run, just get out there and be conversational, keep it easy. Um, I'm mo- so often I see like maybe that athlete, their race pace effort is like a 7:30 to 7:45, and they're doing this this endurance effort type run, this easy run, this this run that's just about kind of time on the feet almost. Is they're doing it like eight minute miles, like only 15 seconds slower. I do those like my threshold is a 6:15 pace. I do those those endurancey effort runs on like 8:30s. It's a huge difference. Um, and that's a huge way to then not to constantly, we're talking about like being energy deficient. If you are constantly hammering, 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 you are overdoing it and you're pulling way too much energy from your system and never allowing it to catch up or recover. Um, so I love that point. I think that's a great point, Aaron. Um, executing as per prescribed and really being on top of letting go of the ego a little bit and not being afraid to have the watch time be slow. I mean, if you have 800s as your session at threshold effort, you should be doing those at threshold effort and your recovery should probably be, I mean, I often walk my recovery when I do those sessions. My recovery is a 15 minute mile or 20 minute mile because I'm walking Um, Because I'm really allowing my space to slow down and allow my heart rate to come down and everything to catch up. So that's a fabulous point. In order to really do it, love it. I made myself delete Strava because I didn't want that average pace mattering at all. And I didn't want people looking at that average pace. And I knew my coach wasn't. So why should anyone else? So I just deleted Strava because I didn't need that. I need to keep my average pace this so people don't think I'm slow mentality. Or whatever, because that does not matter at all. Um, but going into the second question, no. that's ca- actually kind of related to the first question, is how we get good sleep. Because obviously sleep is key mm-hmm. for recovery and injury prevention as well. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. It's huge. And it's one of like the most important pieces. Um, now, what? Well, I'm not 100% sure I'm like the best person to provide information on how to get great sleep because I haven't slept in like four years Um, because my children, my kids don't sleep. I have had a rough time with my kids in sleeping. Um, We are still waking up anywhere from two to four times a night on a regular basis. Um, However, I guess I do, you know, that's besides the point. Um, but sleep is really important. I think a couple of things that are um, really, really powerful. And one thing I definitely did, because I know that I don't get a lot, I, I just don't get great sleep. 
I'm constantly running on broken sleep. Um, I spent a lot of years. Skylar was a terrible sleeper. I think I was maybe getting four hours of sleep a night um, for quite a few, for about two years. Um, and to help mitigate that, I make a couple things, one thing, one couple things a priority and that I try not to answer my phone for text messages much after besides like very specific people much after about seven or seven thirty at night. Um, because I, that takes away from too much of my brain power and I start like overthinking things and I start thinking too much and then I'm not going to go to sleep. And the other pieces is I go lay in bed very early because even if I'm not ready to fall asleep, at least I'm resting. So often I'll be in bed by seven 15 at night because, and I may not fall asleep till eight or eight 30, but I'm resting and I'm in bed because I know that my sleep is going to be very broken throughout the night. And this is the only way that I can keep myself, um, you know, definitely asleep. Then the other piece that I, I always recommend to athletes um, or people that I work with in mental performance coaching is to create a space during like a half hour to an hour before going to bed that you are unwinding and you're doing things that don't create too much mental stimulation. Um, you know, that can be whatever it is for you. I don't always recommend like being on your phone or any of those pieces, but sometimes that's just what it is. Like, honestly, for me, it's the one time I get to mindlessly scroll social media and I want to, I want to mindlessly scroll. I don't want to think about anything. I want to just be very mindless. And so I'll do that for a little bit. Again, I don't always recommend that, but it works for me. Um, but taking, knowing and backing up and saying, okay, I want to be asleep by nine 30. So that means I need, if I want to, read for a half hour and I want to do X for a half hour that I need to be in bed by eight 30. And you just, then you put away the pieces that are going to kind of create too much stimulation. And, um, that's really helpful. Um, kind of creating that space for it. Um, and then the last thing I've been doing lately is I've been using, um, the triple magnesium from pillar performance, and um, you can find that on the feed. Um, it's based out of Australia, um, but they now provide it on the feed. And it has been awesome for allowing me the biggest piece that I'm noticing, because again, I don't get good sleep at night. I have very broken sleep, um, is that when my kids wake up and I have to deal with them, I fall back asleep really quickly. Whereas before, I was not, I was like up for a half hour. And so then next thing, like I've been up for a while. So that's something that's been really helpful for me. Um, the tri their triple magnesium powder. Um, but yeah, I guess that's my, what some of my tips. What about you, Aaron? I know you're, have worked yeah. through a lot of this um, before. I do a few things now that I have found really helpful. Um, I have gotten really good at not being on my phone a ton before bed. Um, and it's like one of yeah, the best things. And I don't, do. um, it's not like I know screens. I'll still watch TV within 30 minutes before bed. Um, but I used to be somebody who felt like I needed multiple things going on at a time. Like while I was watching TV, I used to be scrolling social media while having a conversation with somebody else. Um, and now it's really just like 
watching TV. And then when it's time to go to bed, I turn the TV off. Um, and often I'm going to bed with my boyfriend and I'm just really present with him at bedtime. And when I roll over, we both know like it's time to sleep and I can fall asleep pretty easily most of the time, um, yeah. just being in that routine. Uh, but when that doesn't work, I do a lot of breath work or like meditation work. Um, and a few different things I do. The first is counting down from 100. But instead of just going 100, 99, 98, I actually do it by breaths. So I'll take one whole breath, one whole inhale, one whole exhale, oh, and that will like be it. 100. Uh-huh. Then another inhale yep. and exhale, 99. Um, because it makes the numbers last longer, but it also makes you focus on your breath instead of putting your mind to all the other things that you should have done today or all the things you should do tomorrow or reenacting a conversation that you had with someone and thinking about what Mm -hmm. it should have gone like um, and just really brings your focus to that. Um, Another breath work I'll do. And it calms your calms your parasympathetic calms your sympathetic nervous system, which is your, your critter brain. And it really allows your parasympathetic nervous system, which is going to help you conserve energy. It's going to help you relax. It's going to put you in a good space. Um, And that Mm -hmm. breath work activates that. And so that will help you sleep. Um, That's awesome. That's a really great. Yeah, I love that one. Then there's the inhale for three, hold for three, exhale for three, hold for three, and restart. Do that on a loop. And I'll do that sometimes. Or I'll do inhale for three, hold for seven exhale for four I think um and just play around depending on what I'm in the mood for but usually I'll count down from 100 just with my breath and I'll usually be asleep by 80 (laughs) yeah I think the piece that I'm really like picking up from you that I think is important for people to realize is it seems silly but creating a bedtime routine is really really powerful and it can be really helpful for helping you to go to sleep I mean that's what they tell you to do when you're trying to get kids to learn to sleep and that's how they sleep I mean you for kids you create a bedtime routine where maybe you take a bath or you read and you read a book and then you do you sing your song and then you close your eyes and then they go to bed and it's like so if you do it for kids like why not do it? Mm-hmm. It works for adults too, you know? So I think that's a really key. And, you know, when you can figure out that routine that works for you, and I think you really have to sit down and ask yourself, like, what it, what's creating this extra stimulation for me? Like when I've worked with clients in mental performance type coaching, that's sometimes a lot of times like we're talking about anxiety or them not being able to focus and being too tired. And so we back up and we say, okay, well, well, well how, you know, we talk about their sleep. And a lot of times, you know, they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I can't stop thinking about work. And it's like, okay, well, when, what, when, what, when do you stop answering your emails? And they're like, well, I usually do that until like nine o'clock at night. And it's like, okay, well, no wonder why you can't focus. So, you know, creating a space of understanding of how, okay, here's what doesn't work for me and creates too much stimulation. Um, then, you know, doesn't allow me. Like I know when we record, when we record late at night, like when we record our podcast <laughs> at like six forty-five or seven, I have a hard time going to bed afterwards. Like I go end up falling asleep a lot later because these kind of things like get me super energized and super excited. 
And so then I can't calm my brain down fast enough. And I've got all this like stuff going on in my head and I'm excited and I'm overstimulated. And I, it takes me a while to get my brain to calm down. Um, so yeah, that's the thing I, I noticed about myself. So awesome. Well, hopefully that helps. Um, we have a few more questions here. Um, this is a fun one. Um, this is from Sarah and she asked, basically, I know we've kind of talked about this, um, before, but she just had a quick question as to whether either of us are hoping to qualify for Kona again. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> Aaron's going to go forward at Coeur d'Alene this year. Um, um, so yes, she definitely, Aaron's definitely going for it. I'll speak for her as a coach because <laughs> I believe very strongly that she can do it. Um, and then for me, I would love to qualify for Kona. It's, it, it's just a lot harder, um, in the professional world. I'm trying hard not to focus on something like that, um, for this year, I'm more trying to focus on the idea of growing and learning and, you know, kind of being the best version that I can. And if a Kona qualification occurs, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, it's not a big deal. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at with that piece of it. Um, okay. Next question is from Sophia. Um, this, it, we're kind of like, we talked about, um, hot managing hot months at the beginning. She's wondering about cold mm. races. Um, and because she's got a, she said, I think both of you can help me out to prepare and handle for a cold race better. Um, she's planning for a 7.3 at the beginning of June in Sweden, and the water is normally very chilly. Um, and so she's just wondering, you know, how we manage the cold, um, worried about her hands not going to be able to function, and, you know, wanting to make sure that she can still enjoy the race, even if she does not enjoy the cold. Um, I thought this was a good one because we kind of touched on it in our last podcast mm -hmm. with Oceanside, but, um, figured we could kind of touch on it a little bit more. I know I had some big learnings from Oceanside. Um, main one being, I'm just going to avoid cold water <laughs> races from now on. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the best answer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> But it's kind of where I'm headed. <laughs> um, the biggest recommendation oh. I have is take the extra time and transition that you need to put on the layers to keep you warm. Um, Same. It's Same. totally worth it. That's my biggest regret from Oceanside. Yep. I really wish I had put a thermal jacket on because I think it would have helped warm my core up um, and made a huge difference for me. Um you know, I think that's the biggest piece. There's a lot of things that you can do, right? Like you can put gloves on, toe warmers. If you know it's going to be really cold, um, actually like a trick that some people do, even if it's going to be, if the air is going to be really cold too, is you actually like fold up a garbage bag. Like a lot of people did this at, um, um, what races, uh, uh 70.3 worlds last year. Cause it was very cold. Um, you can either fold up a garbage bag or, or like a space heater type blanket into a, a square and put it over, over your chest and kind of like your, your top part of your core under your tri-suit and you wear it in the swim and you wear it the whole time. And it just helps insulate your core a little bit more, um, and prevent you, you know, kind of from some wind pieces. Um, 
But yeah, I think the key is, um, you know, being, taking the time to get yourself warm in, in transition. A lot of times when the water is cold, even if it is really cold, um, you kind of start to not feel it as you get through it. Um, and then being able to get yourself warm in transition is going to be more key because you can only do so much to stay warm in the water. Um, double, double swim caps can help. You could go thermal um, swim cap, keep you a little bit warmer, thermal swim thermal caps. boots. I would never. Yeah. Thermal swim caps really can make a huge difference. Thermal. Will, I just would never wear thermal boots either. Unless I was doing like if a, the water. Yeah. Like a Patagon, Patagon man or like if one the water's going to be like 50 yeah. degrees, um, go ahead, wear the boots. But if it's any warmer than that, you're going to feel so weird swimming with those on. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Um, and you know, the thing I think is, is if you get some, if you, the key is, is when you are in really cold water, one, you need to know that your heart rate is going to spike rapidly and you're going to feel a little bit hypoxic immediately. Um, so you kind of have to just more calm your, your calm, that critter brain, calm that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response down and go, okay, this is natural. This is okay. And focus on your breathing. Um, and take, you know, I always like to say like, you both like feel yourself breathing as you're like moving your head and like see the bubbles as you're breathing out to like really kind of like what you were talking about with your, um, sleep. Like you take your breath and you count to 100 and then you breathe out, like almost doing that in the water can be helpful just to help manage the fight or flight response that comes from the cold. Um, but yeah, wear the gear. (laughs) It helps. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, okay, we mentioned swim caps, and that kind of leads into the next question, which is from Debbie. She's a where if you take you athlete, and she had a question on swim caps because she um, finds that she has a really hard time with her swim caps, getting them to let's see what she said, getting them to stay on. Um, and just kind of feel like it feels like she, they roll up from all sides and everything. Um, and just wondering if we had any quick suggestions on how to, um, fix that issue. Since you've been swimming forever, Erin, I was wondering if you had any very like helpful tips for that. So, I mean, there's two types of caps. There's latex caps, which if you're competing in an Ironman event, it is always going to be a latex cap, at least from my experience. They're not great. Um, And then there's (laughs) silicone caps, which are just a thicker material that I think is better for your hair. Um, But I think so in a race, you obviously you have to wear the latex cap they give you. However, if you're worried about that slipping off, Mm -hmm. you can put a cap that you like underneath it and double cap. um, And that will help. I put a silicone cap underneath and then my goggles on and then I put the latex cap over the top so that it stays on. And then for training, you just kind of have to play around with different companies' caps to find one that works through your head the best. Um, Like I know the Trace Mm -hmm. Pinos ones are fairly big and have a lot of space in them, um, whereas Arena silicone caps tend to be really small fitting um, and just kind of just ordering a ton of caps until you find one that 
fits best. I know that's not a great solution, yeah. but luckily they're not super expensive. Um, and it just might take some playing around with. The other thing is yeah. make sure you're rinsing the conditioner out of your hair fully in the shower. Um, if your hair's slippery from conditioner and a bunch of hair hair products, your yes. hair's going to slide off. Yeah. It's going to come off. Yeah. And I think it's also like they are going to come up a little bit. It's just kind of the way it is. And you kind of just have to deal with it. Like I know, especially in races, I can't tell you how many, and I mean, I've had it happen myself. I can tell you like how many times I've watched races and like the professionals are coming out with the caps, like barely hanging on to the top of their head. Um, it's just kind of the way it is. And so you just kind of have to ignore it a little bit at the same time. So probably not the best answer for you, Debbie, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, so, okay. We have a couple more questions here. Um, this one's from Amanda and she had a question on bike saddles and she is wondering about bike saddles as a new triathlete. Um, and I, she said, I've used the specialized mimic saddle for her gravel bike and didn't have a lot of pain. But then when she switched the saddle to her TT bike, she felt a lot of pain in her inner groin area and switched to a different specialized mimic saddle with more padding, but that doesn't really help. Just wondering if we have any good advice on good TT saddles or how to reduce some of this comfort. Um, Thanks a bunch. (laughs) This is a tough one because saddles are rough. Um, and I know Aaron likes to, Aaron's had some experience with saddle discomfort, um, you know, and, and one of the things with saddles, you know, with a switching from a, a gravel bike to your TT bike is a very different position. So on a TT bike, you're more rolled, rolled forward, um, you're or tipped forward. You're going to be putting a lot of pressure on your pubic bone um, because that's where you sit. And so a lot of, you want a a saddle that's maybe got a little bit of a shorter nose, um, and that can help. And it's not necessarily about needing more padding, but more about, you know, maybe having a shorter nose and then also find, it's going to sound bad, but like a fit, just getting it fitted with them over and over and trying different ones. Um, and it's hard because everybody is really different. And, you know, I know for me, whenever some people, somebody comes to me with a question on saddles, I do just say, I refer, I'm going to refer you to a fitter or refer you to a bike company that's going to help provide it because saddles are so specific to everybody. Um, that it really just depends. Like for me, I use the buy saddle and I like it. I have no issues with it. I'm fairly comfortable. Um, and the only time I have issues with it is when I know I need a new one. Cause sometimes they get a little bit like tilted. Um, but that's just works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody because everybody has very different like sit bones and their pelvis is fit differently and they roll forward on uh, I mean, a TT bike differently. And so it just really depends. Um, yeah. What, if, what's worked for you? Um, right now I am on one of the ISM saddles. Um, those are, those are good saddles. I rode yeah, those for a really long time. Actually, last time I got a bike fit, I think I tried 10 different saddles and ended up just sticking with the ISM and kind of came to the conclusion that you're never going to be super comfortable on the trainer um, and you just kind of have to deal with it. Um, 
No. On a trainer, no. You're it's going to feel very, very different on a trainer than it is going to yeah. feel in on the road. In a train on a trainer, you're very static. And I think I even commented <laughs> on this on your training peaks. Like you're make sure that you have some natural movement if you can, whether that's sit up or get out of the saddle, or just kind of move around just a tiny bit. We don't want like lots of movement necessarily, but you, you, on a, in a, on a trainer, you're, you're very static. Whereas when you're outside, you have a lot more natural movement and that can make a saddle actually feel a lot um, different. The other thing um, I'm going to say is because I'm still a fairly new triathlete. I got my bike two years ago now. And I remembered when I first got my bike, I still like, even though I had aero bars and it was fitted, I still sat with my pelvis pretty tilted back. Um, and as I got more comfortable riding an arrow, I realized like I needed a completely different saddle because as you get more and more used to arrow and you mm-hmm. want to tilt more and more forward, the saddle is going to hit you in a completely different place on your pelvis. Um, so unfortunately, I think as you get into yep. riding your TT bike, uh, you might have to go through a couple saddles just as your riding style changes. Yeah, because everything's going to change just a little bit. Um, I know they are starting. I mean, uh, they're starting to come out with women special, women specialized type um, bike saddles, which you know could be really great because women have a, most saddles obviously are unisex, and they, but women and men have very different body styles. Um, so I know Specialized just came out with one. I don't know the name of it, but I've, I've heard semi good things about it. Um, and that can, you know, that might be something to kind of look into, but yeah, how to reduce comfort. I think the other piece that can be helpful on reducing comfort or increasing comfort, um, is making sure that you have good bike shorts, Mm -hmm. whether that's bibs or a tri suit or tri shorts, but really good bike shorts. Um, it's worth spending the money on good bibs. It's worth it to spend the money on it. Um, you want ones that are tight fitting and, and comfortable and breathe well and that don't move around because chafe, you know, movement is, <laughs> that's, it's going to create chafing and that's the end <laughs> of life. And that's, and that's time frame. <laughs> I can ruin the day. Um, so that is also a piece that can be really helpful to reducing um, discomfort is having really good um, bib shorts. I, I like to ride, I like to ride in bib shorts. Um, if you prefer cycling shorts or um, even TT shorts, um, that's fine. Um, just it's worth it to spend the money on them. Um, they'll last you a long time, um, but it definitely makes yes, a huge difference. Awesome. Um, okay. The last question that we had for today, um, is, um, was from Leah, um, and she's in Portland, Oregon. Leah was actually my college roommate. So it's kind of fun. And she said, how does one become a professional versus just a person signing up for a race? Um, and so this is different from every sport, but in triathlon specifically, you've got your age group athletes, which is just kind of, you know, everybody, so to speak. And then you have your professional triathletes, um, which are ones that have qualified for your professional license. This is done in a myriad of different ways. And it's very (laughs) confusing. (laughs) It's very, very confusing. Um, 
and it's different in every nation and every country, every federation has a different way of doing it. Um, and so it makes it even more confusing in the U S as triathlon. Some of the ways that you can do it are by taking top 10 overall at a world championship race. So 70.3 worlds or, um, uh, Kona, um, you can, do it somehow at age group nationals. I think it's like that I do know. coming top I think three it's, overall. I think it's top five, five and or... within 8% of the winner's time. Okay. That sounds about right. Um, the other ways that you can do it, and this is how I did it, was to take top three overall at a race that has professionals of the gender that you are trying to become a professional in. Um, with a prize purse of over $15,000. And so I qualified for mine at both um, Chattanooga 70.3 and Texas uh, uh, full Ironman last year. So that's kind of one of the easiest ways to grasp it. Other ways are like you have to come in with an 8% of the winning time, like multiple times. There's just a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, So it's a little bit convoluted and confusing, but, and then once you do, it's super easy to an extent. You just sign, you send in to USA triathlon saying that you've has your qualification then you get your, you get your elite license and then you got to send that to the different types. You get like the PTO or the, um, Ironman or challenge. And then they provide you a professional card and then, from there, you just sign up for races as a professional for the most part. It's pretty easy, but it's a little confusing and convoluted at first. Very, <laughs> in fact, it's very confusing. It took me forever. I had to like call, finally had to call and be like, I don't understand how to do this. Like, where do I send my life? Like, I think I've paid the fee, the license fee, like six times. Like what is going on? <laughs> so it was a little bit confusing at first. Um, but it, yeah, once you figure it out, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, and then with triathlon, you keep your license for three years and then you have to reapply. And there's like a, like, if you were to not come in with a certain time for like, if you were to not race for those three years, you couldn't really reapply. So you do have to race a certain amount in order to reapply. I don't quite know the rules for it, but um, there's a couple rules and how you can keep your license or not. So, um, yeah, it's a little convoluted, but easy at the same time. So, but awesome. Well, we are getting close to an hour here. We do have a few other questions, but I'll probably save them for, um, next time so that we don't talk your guys' ears off too much. Um, you can always send us your questions at www.wearyfeettakeyou.com slash podcast um, or hit Aaron and I up on Instagram. Um, not in a bad place to do it, though. It'd be nice to send them to the email, please, because then I can keep them <laughs> keep them a little bit more organized. Um, but yeah, we've got some fun stuff coming up. I will be headed to Texas next week for Ironman Texas. Um, so next week, maybe we'll do you know a little bit of pre-race stuff. And yeah, I'm excited for that race. I'm, I've been really, really focusing on like removing my imposter syndrome and really focusing on getting excited and loving and just 
knowing that I love this race and knowing that I know how to race on it. Um, so yeah, it'll be awesome. This is, it's a fun race and I've raced well at it before. So fingers crossed we can race well at it again. Um, and yeah, what do you got going on coming up this week? Just training? Yep. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Training hard. It's, it's go time for Erin, as we've mentioned. So she'll be, yeah, just training and yeah, we'll be. Then after that, like I said, yeah, I head down to Arizona Woo! after that. So be a, it, exciting, nice change of pace and it'll be nice to be warm. Everywhere else in the world is getting warm except for my little corner that we live in at the moment. So I'm looking forward to being warm for a change. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next week.